We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the magnificent TM Logan with us today. Hello. Hi. Hi. And we've been told that we're allowed to call you Tim. Yes, you can call me that. You can call me whatever you like, really. But Tim is what oh. everybody mostly <laughs> calls me. So, um, yeah, yeah. Not Timothy. Just not Tim. Okay. Timothy. Not Timothy. That's fine. Okay. We'll see how the episode goes. We can give you a fun nickname or something maybe later. <laughs> I don't know. Or Logan. Logan's a cool name in itself. Mm. Yeah, like, you can you can call Wolverine. you can call me that if you like. I do get emails saying hi Logan, and I just think I don't like being a bit, a bit <laughs> bruised because they just haven't quite understood that, you know, one of them's the surname. Anyway, yeah. 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 Nice. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's really exciting it's to have you on. Sarah and I were just talking before you joined the call and we've both between us, we've basically read all of your books. So this is yes. really exciting. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. And I've seen, anyway, I'm going to get into your bio in a second, but also seen some of your TV stuff as well, which is very exciting. But I'll, I'll just go into the bio. Let's just do that bit because it's the most formal yeah. part and then it gets increasingly silly from here on in. So, <laughs> okay. But we want you to correct Frankie if there's any errors. Um, I'll, I'll make some notes. Thanks for volunteering that, Sarah. Well, nice of you. She'll have to cut this bit out, but she had me read a bio a few weeks ago that talked about a poor guy's cat, and it turned out the cat was very dead after we. Uh... I left that in the episode. I heard that. I heard that one. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really yeah, hard to listen. It was good. It was good, but it was. Yeah, it was a tough listen. But I thought you handled poor it well. Chris Hottie. He was very moment. nice about it. Bless him. He was very kind. Yeah, really opened up that old wound. So cool. Let's see how. Let's see what damage I can do today. Uh, with your advice, <laughs> So, best-selling author T.M. Logan was a national newspaper journalist before turning to novel writing full-time in 2017. His first book, Lies, turned out to be one of Amazon's biggest e-books of 2017, as well as being the second best-selling fiction title of the year on Apple iBooks and number one on Kobo. Overall, his thrillers have sold more than 2 million copies in the UK, and are published in translation in 22 countries around the world. Two of his books, The Holiday and The Catch, have been adapted for television. His latest book, The Mother, is a twisty tale of deceit and betrayal, of redemption and revenge, the story of a woman wrongfully convicted of the very worst crime and her fight for justice. The Mother is already a top 10 bestseller and is out now in hardback, ebook and audiobook. Outside of writing, Tim lives in Nottinghamshire with his wife and two children, where he spends his spare time watching box sets on Netflix, playing tennis badly and supporting the Nottingham Panthers ice hockey team. He's also very kind, generous to his readers, and is one of the best smelling authors that I've ever met. <laughs> was, I like the very the last bit at the end, particularly. That was very, mm. yeah. Where did, where did, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. Where did I got that, that from your website. No, was that not? <laughs> No, because I met you at Capital Crime, okay. Tim, and uh, without sounding really creepy, it's going it's going to sound creepy regardless of how I say it. You smelt really nice. I think it was because early in the day and I hadn't, I just come straight, <laughs> straight from the hotel and I wasn't, um, hadn't been like running around or yeah, anything before that. So that was an, that was an early stage, I think, but um, okay. it kind of got worse after that. Oh, I, I can't attest to the later on part of the day. You could have just, just said, yeah, that's how I always smell. I'm okay. fresh as oh, a yeah. fresh daisy. But uh, yeah, you smell very nice and you were very friendly and lovely. So uh, yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. The only thing I was going to, I was going to wear my Guildford Flames hockey jersey because <laughs> we've got a rivalry going on now, Tim, unfortunately. You've actually got a good team there. We have, we, we've been rubbish for quite a long time. So um, yeah. Well, we, we've had ups and downs, but this, yeah, last couple of seasons, we've been pretty strong in Guildford. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm just going to pretend you didn't mention that. <laughs> I just put on my massive foam <laughs> finger that I have in the house. I won't do that now. But, because uh, I got it all right yes. on there. Yes, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the writing full-time thing did happen in 2017, but partly because... Um, I got made redundant uh, in in that year, and then kind of never really went back to to, to the office. So yeah, it's it was kind of a, a bit of luck and everything else that kind of pushed me into the full time writing thing. So uh, yeah, but it's 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 going okay, I think. <laughs> I would say so. Well, two million bad. copies worldwide. Yeah. yeah, that's quite good, I guess. 
uh, an accident, happenstance. Not too shabby. I was really surprised when I read the bio Frankie pulled together that you've only only been writing since 2017. Yeah. Because you're so much out there and so many massive bestsellers as well. Yeah. And I was writing for, I probably started about 2005, uh, six, 2005, six. That was when I started to, you know, and trying to write and and I wrote a whole book, which went through a kind of many, many phases of, of editing as well, and um, which went out to publish in 2013, I think it was, and didn't get picked up. So that was that was the kind of beginning of, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here or not, but that was the no, kind no. of the beginning of, of things for me. And I learned, you know, learned a lot through that process, but it was obviously, it was kind of a, a bit of a setback to um, to have that situation. So so when the first book came out in, in 2017, I had actually been sort of, you know, trying to get a foothold for sort of 10 plus years by that point. So uh and since then, it's just been kind of a you know book a year contract, and you just mm-hmm. trying to trying to keep keep rolling and yeah keep keep trying to make each book better, better than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, in my head, uh, twenty seventeen feels like it was about two years ago. So yeah. I guess not. <laughs> we lost quite. a couple uh, in this yeah. year, last yeah. few, but. Uh... Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was I was kind of blown away by well, seemingly how quickly um, and how much how prolific you've been in such a, a short period of time. Although we established not actually that short, but still very <laughs> impressive. And that's a really interesting journey into into publishing. And I think it's always really encouraging for people to hear that it's not you weren't automatically an overnight two million best-selling author because I think often it can seem that way. But you've you've always been writing though in one guise of another. Yeah. So when I was, I was when I was at school, I did. Um, I enjoyed English, and I, I thought, well, you know, I'll do. I'll go to university and do English, and that that didn't happen because my my grades were not good enough. My predicted grade wasn't good enough, and um, so I did history instead. Not to knock history because I really enjoyed it, but um, <laughs> so, so I didn't actually slumming it with history. Yeah. <laughs> didn't actually um, quite quite manage to do English at uni, but but yeah. So then then sort of gravitated into jobs that were that involved writing. So I thought, well, that's one the one thing I can I feel like comfortable doing and mm-hmm. so yeah then so then journalism and into uh, did some that sort of eight years of journalism and then went into sort of in comms and PR on the in higher education so yeah it's, it was but all all those jobs kind of really involved pretty much writing on a day-to-day basis apart from sort of the, the last few years when I was doing a lot more sort of management and uh, uh you know sorting out people's problems at uh, at work and, and issues <laughs> on a different different level so uh, but yeah the writing was always my favorite thing and the whole time you were writing you were thinking i wish i could write about killing people <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was yeah i mean the, the, even that first book that didn't that didn't go anywhere was had a, the body count in that was probably a lot higher than it was that than any of my, any of my sort of published books so um whether there was a clue there i don't know but it was yeah that was pretty and it was set in america and i was you know the feedback i got at the time from some of the publishers who rejected it was that well you know you're english and you're writing about this stuff in america and have you lived over there and all that all those sort of things so i for the for the the next you know the next book that i wrote which was lies i thought you know what i'm going to set it in london where i've lived and i was a student in london and nobody can use that as, an, as a reason to sort of <laughs> to knock this book back so uh, yeah i wanted to make it as sort of as familiar as possible and since then i've kind of moved around the country a little bit in terms of locations but and the body count has come down a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> tiny bit <laughs> so um it was probably quite good timing if you can say that covid wise because a lot of the authors we've spoken to recently i think decided to make it their full-time or focus on it full-time at least because of covid but it sounds like you were already pretty set on that path knocking them out <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it was so that was yes yeah, so covid was I, I think i was for the first two or three years when i was writing i was also doing like freelance copywriting uh, on the side mostly for my sort of previous employer because i wasn't you know you, you never really, you never really know what's going to happen the following year or with the next book. So I kind of had the, had the two of them going for, for two or three years. So probably up until about around about the time that COVID came along. And then obviously a lot of that freelance work dried up anyway. And I was into, I don't know which contract I was into because I'm kind of rolling two book contracts, but I think I'd got to a point where I thought, you know, maybe it, maybe now I can actually, because I think the holiday had come out in 2019 and that had done quite well. So yeah, you just kind of have to take that decision where you think, well, I'm now going to purely do, just to do the fiction and you I do feel incredibly lucky you know still to be able to because I know how you know how rare that is for, for people to be able to you know to just do this and 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 focus on it kind of full time so because I you know the hardest book I've ever I've written was that was my second book my follow-up to lies which was because I was writing it um while I was working full-time and getting made redundant and looking for a new job <laughs> uh, kind of doing all those things and 
trying to navigate that whole sort of process. And yeah, that was, it was, that was tough. And I delivered it weeks and weeks and weeks after the deadline as well. So, <laughs> which was, it wasn't a problem in the end, but it was, you know, it was, it was just a kind of an indication that it was, you know, for me as of how hard it would be to continually, you know, to do, to, to wear both hats. So I'm, I'm glad I've, can only wear one hat at the moment well it's a, it's a good hat um, but also it's not so much about luck though because clearly you've been working really hard and you're incredibly talented and skilled at writing so I, I think you can take some of the credit there as well okay. luck is obviously one thing but you're obviously very good at it too and what you were saying as well about how progressively getting better with each book I have to say I, I've really enjoyed everything I've read of yours but I feel like I finished The Mother a couple of nights ago and I really enjoyed it I really really loved it so yeah uh, thank congratulations you. thank you and I think people you know people do say I heard someone say it the other day that you know actually if you're looking at you obviously everybody wants to have a kind of a long longish term career as an author mm. and maybe that maybe that's 10 books or 20 books or 30 but you know if you look back across the whole spread it's quite likely that your first one published is not going to be the best it's going to be you know it's going to it's kind of at the beginning of your your learning process so yeah you think that because if you know if the first one is the best then you kind of everything after that is a bit of a bit of a down yeah. downhill slope which, <laughs> so you know really you want to be you want to be trying to improve every time and that's that's what i try to do so and, and you know bringing in new things and learning learning new things i'm always trying to learn from other other people other authors and i read in books about about the writing sort of you know the craft and because i'm always aware that there's there's a lot more to uh to learn a lot more skills to learn so do you um ever read other sort of books in the same genre or do you try and avoid that i do i mean i get sent quite a lot of advanced review copies mostly in the mostly in the thriller and crime genre so mm. yeah i do tend to mostly read those i mean I'll, i like to sort of sprinkle some history in there historical ones in there as well and more kind of straightforward crime but they, yeah it tends to be because I hear about people who sort of say, well, I, I don't read anything at all while I'm writing a first draft in case I'm influenced. And I'm like, well, God, yeah. I, I, I just couldn't bear to not read for five months. So yeah. I'm always I'm always reading and I'm always, I feel like, I feel like everything kind of, you know, everything you can potentially feed into the mix kind of thing. So if it's something I'm watching mm -hmm. on Netflix or something I read in the, in the, on the news or might be a conversation you overhear or you have with someone and, you know, the, the fiction you're reading for me is also kind of a part of that sort of soup of, of things that kind of go into your head so I don't I don't sort of actively resist it I think that as long as you're not kind of really you know copying copying someone you're, word for word you're, yeah I mean, and obviously obviously your worst nightmare is when you kind of you get halfway through a draft and you and you tell someone what the book's about and you give them a little elevator pitch and they can and they say um oh you mean just like so-and-so's book last year and you obviously that's kind of you know that, that is obviously your worst worst nightmare but I think as long as you're doing things in your own way and putting your own sort of spin on things and I think there's sort of unlimited number of stories out there and hopefully the, the influences you you get from other people are, are, are kind of you know add to it rather than uh, rather than take away and with the mother because just no spoilers really because people need to go and read it because obviously it's brilliant but um from the, the, the premise at the start is something that I genuinely have a fear of is when you wake up and you are basically the uh, main suspect in a brutal murder <laughs> yeah and yeah you, and you didn't do it i didn't do it you didn't do it and that is a terrifying concept uh but where did the idea in general come come from for the mother i mean it was it was kind of one of those again a sort of semi-random thing and i was i was at that stage in the year so the second half of the year i'm always thinking about the next book and thinking about putting ideas together and seeing which ones i kind of keep returning to in my head and it was I was watching a documentary about um the Louise Woodward case, which was happened in I guess around ninety six or ninety seven in, in, in Boston, Massachusetts. And I don't know if you if you guys are probably familiar with the case, but yeah. So it was a British nanny who was nineteen, was over working over there. The child in her care died and she was um I think in the end convicted of I think it was second degree murder or, or manslaughter or something like that. In uh, at a trial and, and I remember watching it at the time and it was one of those kind of quite sort of novel experiences of being able to watch a trial on TV. Um, we, there'd been OJ Simpson a, a couple of years mm. before that. And this trial, again, was kind of, you know, because of the American system allows you to, to watch it. I remember we, my, my wife and I watched it at the time and it just kind of brought it all back, I think. And that started me thinking about, about her and about how, you know, like, like I say, she was a 19-year-old, still a teenager, and she's on trial for her life. And she, she was completely ill-equipped, I think, to be standing there in that courtroom to see her getting grilled and yeah it was I just it just kind of I guess that's kind of you know sometimes things just get you thinking and you think about okay well 
perhaps she's what if you have someone who's a bit older than that and she's got and it's not she's got several children and one of those children is the one that is and in the end in the end in the book it's not um a child who's who's died as her husband and that's that's obviously you find that out in chapter four so it's not uh not, a, not too much of a spoiler <laughs> but um but yeah but i just thought the, I mean, the idea of you know you have the fact that family unit which is shattered because one of them one of them is you know yeah. taken away into the justice system and one of them is one of them is gone and then what happens to the kids and who looks after them so yeah it was just one of those ideas that started to um to germinate in my head and uh kind of went from there really it sort of snowballed a little bit from uh from there it's interesting because i've forgotten all about that case but it was mm. huge at the time wasn't it yeah. yeah and you had a very a very just very distinct kind of you know everybody pretty much everybody in america i think thought she was guilty you know, so yes. kind of generalization and everybody in the uk thought she was <laughs> innocent so it was kind of yeah. there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of nuance and then there wasn't and then you had this amazing reversal at the end after the trial when the judge basically said i'm changing the thing you've been convicted of, therefore you, you know, you're going to, so your sentence will be time served. So therefore you're going home. And it was just kind yeah. of, a, just to know such a, for her, I, I, you can't imagine what it must've been like for her, let alone for the parents and for the, you know, it was just, no. a, and there was one moment in the trial, which which really struck me when she, she inadvertently kind of giggled on the stand. And it's one of the, that kind of, I don't, again, I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah. she's just really, really nervous. She's terrified. And she kind of lets out this nervous laugh on the stand and you think after that there's no way she is going to be yeah. she's going to you know she's going to be found innocent on the boat because they just think she's a you know and there's and also kind of fed in the things around how perhaps how women are perceived when they're in court and when they with these for these really really serious offenses how they are they kind of sad enough or are they crying too much or are they kind of mm -hmm. too cold or are they too this and all these questions which don't necessarily seem to apply when a man's on trial so it was kind of mm. I thought that was really interesting to explore as well um in, in the event that the chapter that I wrote the courtroom chapter that I wrote where she is mm. the verdict is you know it's handed down it doesn't feature in the book it's a deleted scene actually which is mm. you can get on the if you join my readers club, I just like advert oh, that for the readers club. There you go. Uh, Excellent. I'm joining that. Thank you. But it was because it was my editors like, well, you know, you don't actually really need this because we know what's happened. We're just going to, we just need to cut to her, you know, walking out of jail 10 years later. And so that's what we, that's what we did. So the courtroom doesn't feature at all, but you kind of, you know, you kind of, people are readers particularly savvy enough and knowledgeable enough to know obviously the sequence of events. And yeah. so it was, uh, yeah, just cut to her walking out of uh, the jail in, 10 years after. But I think you've captured still that that kind of conversation piece around the perception of women who are alleged to have committed crimes, particularly with Heather. And th there's a, no spoiling, obviously, but then there's a lot of uh, newspapers reporting, calling her an ice queen, calling her cold hearted. And the way yeah. the police treat her in the interrogations as well, you can see that you've really captured that essence of uh, particularly as a woman accused of a crime and, and the, yeah. the way that yeah the narrative can be twisted. And you can't do anything right by all accounts. You know, if you smile, then you're a, a psychopathic, you know, laughing murderer. If you don't smile, then what are you hiding? And yeah, so beautifully captured, really much. I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and with the writing process, obviously you do a book a year and that's quite an intense schedule. Yeah. But what do you enjoy most about the writing process and what do you enjoy least about it? I mean, I think I enjoy most the, the kind of the ideas, the, the, probably the first half of the process. So building up the ideas because that's very kind of free you know flowing and um i will literally just have a word document and i'll just just write everything into this word document in any order and it doesn't matter it's just kind of literally it'll be notes on my phone and i'll you know put them into it as well i might do that for three or four weeks and that's very that's quite an easy because at that point in the process this book is going to be you know literally the best thing you've ever written and it's going to be the best probably the best book <laughs> ever written as well and it's going to be a perfect Lovely, masterpiece that's going <laughs> to soar like an eagle and then when you you know when you obviously and, but right at the end of the process it's 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 never you know quite what you envisioned because it has to be something that's on the page and then rooted in reality but yeah so sorry the, so the the thinking up in the first draft i think is my is my favorite because again first draft you just got a blank page and you can just run you know, not wherever you want, but you can do, you're just creating something out of nothing. And I, I that's the bit that I really love about, about well, and I mean, I like, you know, there isn't, there aren't any, any parts of it that I hate, to be honest, because I have, I'm, I feel incredibly lucky to do the job that I do. But that first draft, when you just literally sit down in the morning and spend three or four hours, and then by lunchtime, you kind of got this whole scene, or you got this whole conversation with the characters, and you, you got something that's been brought to life, which didn't, you know, didn't exist when you woke up that morning. And that, that is, um, yeah, I just love, I love the sort of creation part of it. And 
particularly that first first draft, which I've just finished on the on the next book actually. So Ooh, excellent. <laughs> do you um sorry, I'm interrupting you before you finish the question, but do you let people read what you're writing? As you create it, do you ever go show your wife and go, oh, look, this is really good, look what I've done? Or are you very much to keep it close <laughs> to your chest until it's ready? It's not. I don't tend to show anybody at all while it's while I'm draft while I'm doing the first draft, because my first drafts are quite messy. So there's quite a lot of bits and pieces that are well, they're not messy when I've submitted them, but while I'm doing while yeah. I'm working on them, they're kind of, you know, there are big there are chunks missing or I've, you know, written in caps like, you know put in more stuff here or you know <laughs> make make this less crap here or something or you know so it's, all, it's all kind of so one I mean sometimes my editor will say to me in sort of February March time can I have can I see the first eight or ten chapters please and so I'll then kind of tidy them up and send them off partly because she needs to have a an, a more an idea of what they're all about and to talk to her colleagues and and um that sort of thing but I, yeah I don't tend to show anybody else up to the point where it's that, that first draft's gone, then it'll go to to my editor Sophie and my agent, and also normally I'll send to my wife at that point so she can she'll read on her Kindle, which is always quite a nerve wracking time because uh, yeah, she just sort of she literally she'll we, we're both you know reading at night and she's reading on a Kindle. I'm kind of like trying to gauge what her reaction to it is, and if she's like <laughs> if she's like sort of tutting and sighing, I'm thinking oh god, this is you know this is terrible. So um, that's quite, and I find it quite hard to. Yeah, and if she's like flicking pages as well, you know, you, you know, she's just flicking through that, so it's not she's not even really reading it. But yeah, so so yeah, yeah I know that's, this, that makes for an awkward <laughs> dinner table conversation, <laughs> I imagine. At that stage, it's very, um, it's just those three, and then and then obviously the more people become involved um, further down the line with more with the editing. Yeah, it's always because because some people have like beta readers, and I um, mm. they show it to people, and and I I've never I've always thought that'd be a really good idea and a good thing to do, but I've never actually been able to bring myself to do it because I always wanted to <laughs> I don't even like people coming coming up and looking over my shoulder when I'm when I'm writing because I'm thinking no, this is rubbish this is rubbish you've got, you've got to look at it when it's done a bit more you know ready to, to be seen so it's going to be so good I promise <laughs> <laughs> that is really difficult as well if your wife is reading it and I mean that would, it, it's bad enough when you're showing someone a Netflix show or a film that you love and you're watching them watch it more than anything and they're not reacting the way you want them to that's stressful so when you've written it yourself that must just be an extra layer you clearly have a very strong marriage if it survives well, how many books well, <laughs> <laughs> eight books but she she's in, I mean she's in a difficult position because it's really hard I think also to give completely honest she is normally pretty pretty you know straight from the shoulder in terms of what she says and you know, I like that didn't like that but it's quite hard for her to for any partner I think to give really completely honest feedback so this kind of becomes a thing you can build up over time but if she says you know I didn't I didn't get that or I didn't understand this or I didn't I wasn't following this and that is you know it's it's really because she's she's the kind of first I'm not saying my editor isn't a proper reader but she's not kind of like a mm. she's in the industry obviously so she's kind of got a mm. different perspective whereas whereas Sally my wife is obviously you know she's just she just reads for you know fiction for for fun so she is kind of a really good first benchmark of what you know what I read because she reads lots of lots of thrillers lots of crime lots of in the genre so she's a she's a good kind of a good benchmark for uh she's your beta reader yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> she got the pot through nepotism but yeah yeah i'm sure she'd point out if there was a glaring error or <laughs> yeah we we um we had uh nikki french on a little while ago and obviously they write together as a husband and wife and i, I still can't get my head around how that works but they've clearly got a very good system going but do you ever do you bounce ideas off of your wife and people around you as you go, or do you tend to keep it close to the chest until you're ready to share? I will tend to bounce some things off her as I'm going along, and then also sometimes if I'm in the stage where I'm kind of trying to think of an idea, I'll kind of pitch things to her and say, "What do you think of this? And what about would this? If you had read this on a back cover, would you would you pick that up in a bookshop?" Or and she, you know, when that second book, that that hard second book, I was talking about twenty nine seconds, which was when I had a lot of other stuff going on, when I initially conceived that book, it's just about a guy who hates his boss. And it was a coincidence that I was happened to be made redundant at the time. That wasn't actually that, Pure all, that, that, that happened kind of after the, <laughs> so, so when I was, when I was thinking about the idea, I said, well, I said to Sally, well, it's a guy who hates his boss so much that when, you know, he gets this opportunity, someone says, well, I'll just take your boss out of the equation. And, and, and Sally was like, well, yeah, but you know, most, a lot of people hate their boss and that's not really, and she said, "Well, does it have to be a does it have to be a man? What what if it's a woman? What if it's a female character? And there's you know he's mm. a kind of he's a too many spoilers for the book, but he's kind of a 
a quite a, a brilliant academic in his own way and a, a highly regarded academic. But he's also the side that people don't know about him is he's a you know one of these kind of predatory people who uses his position and his power to to exploit people sort of below him in the hierarchy. So and when I kind of when she kind of suggested that dynamic, that then that then worked mm. a lot better, I think, and, and it's much it's much stronger as a book because it makes it. Yeah, we just happened to come out in 2018, which was kind of as the, all of the all of the Me Too stuff was really getting mm. some momentum. But it, it obviously is obviously, you know, looking back and looking at it now, it's obviously a stronger book and a stronger storyline and a better situation as a as a write as a writer to to use. And that was her kind of encouragement to to look again at the the, the initial idea. So yeah, she does kind of add to. She says that's still her favourite book, actually. I don't know whether that's because she kind of helped me think of it on it, but um, yeah. <laughs> I really liked 29 Seconds. I think yeah. you're doing it disservice, personally. <laughs> I think that's the, the beauty of of your books as well. Like Obviously, they're crime thrillers, and that's fun and enjoyable in itself. But then there is more to it than that. There's real, there's emotion and things. Often, the kind of the more pulpy side, I suppose, of crime fiction is straight up killing solving a crime blah, blah, blah. but when you add that humanity and that layer of um, more complex social issues within it that's what kind of makes the characters more believable and compelling yeah i think she's always and certainly my editor is always my agent as well they're always kind of really encouraging me to think about that and to try to you know um just to make the books as accessible as possible and you know people say well, is it intentional that you have one book with a male protagonist and one with a female and it kind of alternates and i'm like well not not really i just <laughs> choose how I think I can best tell the story or how, where, what the strongest story is. It just so happens that in the last sort of four or five books, it's, it has alternated in that way. So it's kind of a weird thing. But <laughs> Does the pattern continue with the one that you've just finished? It does, actually, yes. Ah. It wasn't, it wasn't going to because I was going to break the pattern, but then we couldn't, I couldn't quite nail the idea for, the, for book number eight. And so I kind of went to a, not a fallback idea, but kind of an alternative one, which is the one I've just written. So yeah, it's uh it's back to a male protagonist for this one. So but it's literally just left my desk on Friday on you know sort of three days ago. So I'm kind of I'm still in slightly in kind of I had a bit of a not a meltdown, but I was kind of at the end of the first draft process, it's always like 12, 14 hours a day in the cabin and my I've sort of my wife can't talk to me because I'm like can't get my head out of the book and she and it's kind of all a bit mad so um I'm still in you know I've still got, I haven't got the thousand yard stare anymore but I'm still I'm, I'm just kind of coming coming down off it a little bit uh, today so shell-shocked yeah <laughs> well can you tell us anything about it or is it too yeah. early for that um I mean I think it's very sort of in broad brush terms it's about a, a family that move into a new house and not a new sorry not a new house a Victorian villa which is a big Ooh. sprawling house kind of right at the top of their price range in a particular part of Nottingham called the park which is quite an unusual um, little enclave next to the castle in the middle of the city lots of Victorian architecture there they move into this house and on the first day the dad finds this room on the top floor he goes into one of the bedrooms and he by quite by chance he finds a hidden entrance to a room um behind the one he's standing in and he goes into this place and it's clearly not in, been touched in years and years in more than 20 years and there's various things in there that he finds that he becomes a bit fascinated with and wants to reunite them with their original owners and and then sort of mayhem and uh and and, and you know bad things kind of ensue after that so <laughs> sounds intriguing yeah it doesn't have a title yet we're still kind of wrangling about the title but it's um yeah it'll be it'll be coming in spring 2024 so yeah Very i'm excited good. about it thank you we are too always love hearing about a future read um, <laughs> and i took you wildly off topic i'm very sorry what is your least favourite thing about the writing process? She's not letting you get away without that part. No. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, with the, with the caveat that, like I said, I do, I, do, I, I really do like every part of it, but there are obviously some of my bits that I like a bit less. And yeah. the thousand yard stare bit that you mentioned. Well, yeah, the, the, the structural edit is probably the you know I've I've done obviously a few of them with a number of books, and you you kind of think this should get easier, right? And it should be, you know, it should be better, but actually. It's, it doesn't really. And it'll be it'll be in four or five weeks from now when I'll get that document back from my editor and she'll say, it always says, it's always the same. It always says, you know, really love the book. Oh, I love this, this and this and this. But here is a <laughs> here is a document saying all of the things that we need to fix. And, um, and you know, annoyingly, she's always pretty much always right. And, uh, <laughs> and you kind of have that two days period of running, ranting and saying, oh, this is outrageous. And then you kind of sit down and look at it again. And you think, <laughs> and then think, well, 
yeah okay this is going to make it a better book and it's going to be much you know pacier and 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 more immersive and all, all those all those good things but the structural edit is still because you kind of you have this you know you present your baby to to um <laughs> to, to your editor and and say look admire my baby and isn't it beautiful and um and they say well <laughs> it is but you know i think it should have two eyes and two legs and two arms <laughs> rather than rather rather than the baby you have created which has you know the irregular number of limbs and um but no so it's it's kind of a yeah so that you, you you do have to just get on with it really when it when the structure edit comes in and that's the and that is normally the worst one that's when you have the the kind of taking everything apart and putting it back together again sort of uh, part of the process which is because some authors I've, I've I've heard about love that bit, and I'm like I don't know what's uh, what's wrong with me, but I'm I just don't. Uh, <laughs> or what's I don't like, wrong I don't with like, them? I don't like taking the, taking the baby apart and putting it back together again. So um... take that clip out of context. That particular piece of audio. That's <laughs> one for the socials. Mm. <laughs> so if you are on a one book a year process, do you hit the same milestones at the same time of the year generally? Like is is August mm. always your, or July, always your sad structural edit time? <laughs> <laughs> sad face time. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. when the last, certainly the last few years, it's kind of settled into a, so the first books, yeah, the first books came out in January and in ebook, that was, you know, back in 2017, 18. And then it kind of, in the in the few, few years since, it's kind of settled into a March publication date each year, which dictates uh, June the previous year for a first draft so I always kind of put mm. June the 1st in my diary you know I sent it on June the 2nd this year which was kind of you know which was kind of almost almost on target but um <laughs> not quite <laughs> but so yeah so it's it's really the first those first five months of the year up to to June and then second half will be all those you know structural edit and copy edit and line edit going through into well into the autumn basically and then kind of start thinking about the next one so but yeah, so the year it has kind of a, does sort of settle into a sort of a the last few years have settled into sort of quite a, a pattern in that way, which is which helps because I know what's I know what's coming. Yeah, but you've also ruined summers for yourself. Now, so. <laughs> well, yeah, but I've got these next few weeks kind of you know June is June's always good, and then uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be at Harrogate in July, and you know if I'm if I'm sort of looking a bit sad and uh, you know then that'll be that'll be why because I've had to take my take the baby apart and then put it. Uh, <laughs> My, my limbs cover. everywhere. Yeah, if I see you holding baby limbs at Harrogate, I'll, I'll buy you a drink to cheer you up. So yeah, yeah. I mean, normally it's, it's that that worst part is done by end of July or August time, and then uh, yeah, you're kind of rolling into each because each edit should be a bit easier than the last one, and through the year. And between books, obviously. So I mean, not between books. You're still, I imagine, still very much in the mindset of this book. Are you already thinking ahead to the next one? Do you have idea, little seeds being planted, or do you tend to just keep it so very separate as you go? I mean, I find that it's. I find it quite difficult. It's a lot. It'll be a lot easier for me now, having sort of sent that book off. You know, the the, the first draft of book eight sent it off to to be edited by my editors it's easier now to try and make have the headspace to think of something else so I find it difficult when I'm really in really in the weeds with a with a first draft to think about anything else because it kind of becomes completely you know sort of consumes you really and you're kind of in the middle of the woods there in the middle of the book so but I have a I have a a, again another file on my computer which is the rolling file of I don't know how many pages 20 pages or something of all just random things bits and pieces of you know news news items or two or three paragraphs of stuff that I've thought up and things that I've heard from people or, and that, so that just kind of accumulates and that, that's, that's kind of a, a place I'll go back to and, and look at for, um, for the next, for the next idea. But yeah, so it's kind of a, a rolling process. And I, I like to think that ideas are kind of everywhere. You just got to sort of tune in to them and listen for them and look for them. And if you, if you kind of tuned in then you can, you can see things, uh, it becomes a bit easier to see, to see things and see where the next book might be coming from. So it's just a case of, you know, yeah, sort of tuning into the right wavelength and you can pick things up. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, you pick up lots of, I mean, most of the stuff in that file will be, will be, will be rubbish and will we'll never go anywhere. But, you know, you've got to find that if you can find a little pearl somewhere in there, you hope there's a one or two pearls that might be in there that you can pull out. And if I find that I'm looking at something and I'm thinking about it the following week or the week after that, and I keep thinking about it, or if I'm thinking about it when I'm bored, if I were to keep returning to it in my head, then I think, well, that that maybe that that's a sign that something might have, you know, have the legs to 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 be a full length book. So it's mm-hmm. part, yeah, but that's part of the process as well. Sort of thinking about which which ideas kind of grab me and which ideas I think might just thought, you know, which ideas I would like to read myself because I always like mm-hmm. to read, I always like to write write the kind of books that I'd like to read. So 
it's always a case of trying to figure out which ideas is, uh, are sort of the most interesting from my own perspective. And when you read back some of the ideas, are you like, I, what, what, I don't know what this means. Do you ever read back and like, I don't remember writing this? I don't know what this is referring to. Like, what is this? I do that all the time. Yeah, I do. I, I do have. I do have that. I and mean, then you, you have instructions. Well, you have instructions to yourself. I'll put instructions in caps to myself, and then not know what that may, means or <laughs> or kind of it's done in kind of. I mean, I, I I used to. I still write shorthand now. Not not brilliant shorthand anymore because I don't use it every day. But and sometimes you, I write shorthand notes myself in a notebook or something, and then you go back and you're like, I literally don't know what the hell that is. Um, and you think this could this could be a million dollar idea down here, and I can't even read my, my own shorthand. So. Um, uh, but no, you, you, I think you, you can, you can, because I've got, I've got to have a notebook, and I've got a, another or two or three notebooks. And you have your notes on your phone. You have, I've got notes on my computer, so they're kind of all over the yeah. place. And um, I probably, if I was doing it better, I should just have one place where I put everything. But um, I don't do that. Yeah, we'll do what works for you. <laughs> so it's fine. We were just actually before we, before you joined, we were talking about having a safe. Because also the risk of having everything in one place is that if that one place is ruined or destroyed, then you've lost everything, right? So at least you're actually, that's quite a good contingency plan. You've got it all spread about. You're always going to have some pearls dotted about as and when you need them. Having all your crap everywhere. Yeah, that's that's, exactly. yeah, that's, that's the approach I've taken the house as well. It's just everything is spread everywhere. News, <laughs> newspapers everywhere. So, yeah. Perfect. That's it. That's all part of the plan. Frankie, if I can get this clip to send to my mother, that would be really helpful. <laughs> I lost my... Um, my Australian passport last year and my Australian citizenship certificate. Oh dear! All at once. Yeah. She was going to Australia. <laughs> yeah. So my uh, my mother was not thrilled. Was it tidied up? Whose whose fault was it? Hers. Well, I mean, TBC. <laughs> I moved house a few years ago just before COVID, and I suspect they got thrown out then because they were all stored in the same folder. That was my error. Okay. Should have had one thing Cautionary here, one tale. there. They would have mm-hmm. at least had part of it. <laughs> I'm not allowed to look after the passports. So they're all just put in. The, my wife's got them all in a drawer. So I'm not really trusted <laughs> with that stuff. Well, because you just leave them scattered around the house in various locations. It's not. I probably would. Do, I, yeah. I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> Sensible, <laughs> clearly. Apparently so. <laughs> and when you are writing ideas and things, obviously you have a wide variety of characters, ideas, I imagine you plot down too. And you, your characters go through a hard time, I think it's fair to say, yes. in your books. Not the smoothest of journey. So I'm really curious with this question that we like to ask is, if you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why? This is really, this is really tough, like you say, because they're all go, they yeah. all have such a, Awful. they all go through the, they all go through the ringer. And I, I was just kind of, I was looking at each book thinking, would I be that one? And I was like, God, no, no, he has a terrible time. <laughs> um, uh, would I be, would I be that one? And she's like, God, no, his wife thinks he's having an affair and then he's a complicit in this. And then he's, then he does that. And then he's oh, blinded. So and then, yeah, then there was another one who was obviously, you don't want to be him because he doesn't make it to the end of the book. And then, yeah, so <laughs> I think Who's left? I think, it's, I think it's probably going to be, so for In the Curfew, which was um book mm. came out last year, there's a character in that called Andy, who's a, he's a GP and he's, yeah, he doesn't get killed or he gets beaten up a few times, but that's kind of, you know, apart from that. He's, Character building. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, he's, he's a GP, so he's got like a proper job and he's kind of, you know. <laughs> I honestly couldn't. I honestly couldn't think. And then it was the, the one character I thought I, it would be quite fun to be for about five minutes. Although that was that would be, yeah, you can't you can't do that because he's like a horrible horrible criminal. So um, mm. yeah, but so, so probably fun, Andy, though. probably Andy Boyd, the, the doctor in in the curfew, because he uh, yeah, I mean he's a quite he's a reasonable guy and he's you know just has a has a bad time. And in moments like this, yeah, are you like I why do I write such monsters and why do I write such sad characters <laughs> yeah i mean i suppose there's, there's probably one or two of the cops in mm. in um i don't know the curfew and yeah i mean I, the mother i mean it's, it's kind of oh god that I, quite like, I quite like owen tanner in the mother um you know he's a, as a journalist and yeah, he's, he's fun you know kind of harks back a bit to my own background but yeah i don't know it's a tough that is a really that's a really tough question <laughs> so yeah i'll stick with the gp <laughs> safer safer than the conspiracy theory angle as well that Owen Tanner goes potentially as well yes so, yeah absolutely fair enough. yeah 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 <laughs> and you talked a lot about reading earlier you're a big reader and you get sent off books and obviously it's uh it's a passion of yours but I want to add an extra layer to this so obviously we ask everybody what was the last book you read and loved but also you've professed to be a big Netflix box it watcher so have you yeah. got any Netflix recommendations for us as well I mean, I'm. I'm. The last few months have been a bit of a bit of a dead zone for me because I've been in the when I'm in the book right. and I'm not often um, doing loads. I mean, I, you know, Mindhunter obviously is one of my favourites, um, and I'm, I'm a bit sad that that's not going to come back. 
Uh, and one of the lines from that second series was uh, it was a bit of an inspiration for the for the latest book, actually. So, oh God, I don't know. And I'm I'm way behind on Succession. I'm behind on Vikings. I'm behind on Your Honor, which is on Now TV. And yeah, I'm I'm what else? Oh, Blue Light. Well, Blue Lights is not Netflix, but it's BBC. But that was really really good. And if you would have seen that, the, the Belfast police drama. Um, we can keep it easy with books if that's better. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads of things. I've got so many things like queued up to, for me to watch. And I thought, you know, you always think in the summer, I'm going to sit down and watch all these things. And then it's the sun's out and you're kind of doing doing jobs. So, uh, yeah, I will get yeah. I will get to them. But um, but no, I'm, Mindhunter, I thought was, yeah, it was, it was probably one of my favourite things that I've ever seen on Netflix because it's kind of just come at things from such a different angle and the whole behavioral psychology thing in the FBI and all that it was mm. it was and like I say there was there's a, that there's a line a particular line from from series two episode five that I kind of you know was a quite was a bit of a light bulb moment for me for book for the next book so that was you're uh, not going to tell us which one <laughs> uh well it's something that it's something that Ed Kemper says in when he's being interviewed he kind of he kind of comes Ed Kemper is this guy I don't know if you've seen the theories but he's obviously yeah. a horrible 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 man and um but he's he has this one particular cameo role in the second series and he just says you know Seems like everything you know about serial killers, Agent Holden Ford, is um, is has been learned from the ones who got caught. Very true. And so, and I just was watching that. I think, and I had to pause it and rewind it and like record that bit on my phone because I was thinking, I'm that, that is yeah, that is a very that's quite a good point. It's quite you know, hmm. if, you, if you if you if you imagine how many of these people are out out there active or active now in the US or here or a bit of a tangent on serial killers, but you just think, well. Yeah, obviously, obviously, everything we know about them is from the ones who we have been able to study and talk to and uh, put in on trial. And mm-hmm. you know, potentially there are because, you know, because the Golden State Killer in America was not caught for like 30 plus years after yeah. he went went quiet. So but for a bit of bad luck on from his perspective, he perhaps perhaps would never have been caught. So, mm, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was a, like another rambling answer to your Netflix no, question. It's but, great. <laughs> and I love Mindhunter and Ed Kemper. The, the actor that played him was incredibly spot on. It terrifyingly yeah. so. And I also, my favourite Ed Kemper fact, because everyone's got to have one, uh, is that he narrated loads of audiobooks while he was in prison. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Edmund Kemper narrated loads. He had a great voice. And so he did a lot of audiobook narration. Uh, oh I don't know how many of them God. are still out there, but you could be listening to a book read by a serial killer. So, what was he? Because, you know, the other thing about him, the actor who played him in that show was that he was in, um, I'm pretty sure he was in A Man Called Otto, that, um, that, that, yeah, that lovely film. Movie. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was, and I was like, who? I was like, who the hell was he? And then I, you kind of, I looked back and I was again, when I should have been writing, I was looking at on YouTube <laughs> and things. But I think he's the guy, he's the guy who's exercising up and down the street. If anybody's watched the movie, he's the sort of the big, tall, um, goofy guy. who lives Strangling in the, a co-ed in, in the background. No, like... <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, that's no, no, he's, he's, um, he's, yeah, he's obviously, because yeah, in, in the, in the, in the, in, in Mindhunter, he's incredibly chilling and he's huge. He's like six foot eight yeah. or nine, I think. So he's a very intimidating bloke, but in, yeah, Man Called Otto, he doesn't, I don't think he, he strangles anyone, but. Um, not on, not on screen. Not on, maybe in this, maybe in the sequel. <laughs> in the deleted scenes. Uh, we, uh, we are going off on tangent because Sarah and I could talk about serial killers all day. We love this stuff. Oh, so yeah. we'll have to save that maybe for another time. But okay. <laughs> good to know. But what books do you recommend? Do you have a last book you read and loved as well? One of the last audiobooks that I had, which really I thought was just amazing, is was called it's not super recent, but it's by Lou Burney. Um, he's an American author. It's called The Long and Far Away Gone. Oh. And I think it's from about seven or eight years ago, maybe. And it's about a so it's about two characters who both have suffered incredible trauma in their childhoods in um Oklahoma City. I think it's in the eighties and then they it's following them like twenty twenty five years later when they they're both back in the city and trying to trying to unravel what happened to them in these two incidents that are quite sort of unrelated but so it's but he's just a, such an amazing writer and his dialogue's brilliant and his his the pacing is brilliant and the 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 characters are fantastic and the this whole atmosphere of the place and you just feel like you're you're there in in oklahoma city and it's I just and I also read November Road by him, which was a fantastic, amazing, amazing book. Uh, again, I don't know if it's not. I think that was actually followed. That was that was more recent than this one. But November Road was about and sort of imagining what would have happened to the guy after the JFK assassination. That the guy who oh, wow. the guy who was you know sort of uh, it's conspiracy theory that it wasn't. Um, oh God, I can't remember his name. But it, so there was there, there wasn't there was another shooter who was the actual the actual killer and, and what happened to him and where he went and the people he crossed paths with. So. Yeah, I loved I loved both of those. 
In terms of more recent stuff, I mean, The Only Suspect by Louise Candlish, I thought was really good. And yeah, really I had an advanced copy of that earlier in the year. And just, you know, yeah, and I've, I've read a few of hers and they're all, yeah, they're just, that's really, really, really good. And yeah. what else? Previous podcast guest as well. The Fifth the fifth Guest by Jenny Knight, which is another advanced copy, which I'm not even sure it's out yet, but that Ooh. was really good. Lots of characters kind of, again, revisiting this so that, revisiting their students a particular you know things that happen when they were students and sort of looking back on them 10 15 years later that was that was a lot of fun as well so I think it might be a debut as well I'm not sure but yeah but that's wow. that's that's coming out soonish I think so yeah great excellent it's just more and more to go on my TBR so thank you <laughs> <laughs> out of control TBR yeah just a little bit so another question that we ask in every interview is what typical crime genre trope do you hate slash are a bit sick of, if you want to soften your answer slightly? <laughs> can, I have, can I have two tropes? Yes. Yes. All right. I think the first trope, and the one that I try to avoid myself, is the, maybe it's a bit more of a horror film trope, but it's the thing when they pers- the main character, or whoever it is, kind of wanders off somewhere into some area, and they're like, oh, I've left my mobile phone behind, and oh, I don't, I've not told anybody <laughs> where I am, and oh, I've not got anything to defend myself with, and oh, I... <laughs> Oh, I shall yeah. have to just wander in here into this house full of, you know, terrorists. Or whatever. Oh, no, but <laughs> they're kind of that kind of, I find that quite frustrating because you just think I wouldn't, everybody's got a phone with them nowadays. And yes, you might have a few places that are out of signal or whatever, but people where they're not, look, you know, behaving in a way that is uh, realistic in terms of personal safety purely so they can just get, you know, put into a difficult situation. I think that's, I find that yeah. quite frustrating because you just think, you know, I wouldn't do that. And uh, people, you, you hope people, I mean, it, obviously it can happen. In, in real life because of circumstances outside your control. But if it's in a book, you think, well, I want this person to behave in a slightly more <laughs> kind of sensible way than, than yeah. uh, you know, when it's like this sort of in the haunted house thing when they all go in and, they, and someone says, let's split up. And, they, and then someone says, yes, let's do that. And you think, no, don't do that. Yeah. That's, that's stupid. So, you yeah. all deserve to die. Let's yeah. split up and I'll back. I'll walk backwards towards this open you know, trap door without thinking. <laughs> um, so, yes. So yeah, that's one of them. The other one is is um, I don't know. It's a bit of a a little bit of a bugbear, and you I don't know you see it a bit more on TV. I think is is a sort of scummy journalist, uh. trope, which is a difficult one because obviously they're quite you know there are and as we all know and as we've seen in recent years there are quite there are a fair number of mm-hmm. you know scummy venal journalists out there who will um, do things that are illegal to get the story. But I think it's unfortunate because I think, you know, how, having been a journalist myself and yes, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not claiming any sort of particular credit or anything for that, but I just think that probably the majority of them are not like that. And it's, 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 um, it's a bit of a, it is, it is a bit of an easy, an easy cliche to, to throw in. If you've got a journalist in there, they're kind of coming along. They want to stitch up someone or turn the victim over or, or, wreck a trial or you know betray someone's secret or in all these things and i yeah i, I just find it a bit a bit frustrating because you see you'll see them on I mean, to be fair it's more often on tv shows mm-hmm. i think that they kind of yeah. you come along and they're just oh here we go this is kind of yeah this person's gonna obviously um lie and cheat and steal and uh try and try and stitch this person up but yeah so i I don't know. Maybe it's probably not a very popular um, opinion. That's an interesting what's, what's, one. What's happening with the mirror hacking and all that stuff? But I think that <laughs> you know, you, you sort of hope they're in the minority. Yeah, but that's it's a really interesting one. And I think in the you no know, the the time of fake news, which is so easy to just scream where you know you want to contradict a, a story or something, it's done a lot of damage to journalism in general and yeah. how it's perceived. So I think yeah, that there's sure. obviously. But as you say, there is the phone hacking and there's scummy sides, but then there are just hardworking journalists who are trying to do a very important job and hold people in power to account. And they're just trying to get yeah. things done. And yeah, it's very easy to just go, oh, journalism's ugh, gross, scum. But yeah, I think you raised a very good point. Yeah, I think it's, you know, obviously, you know, Donald Trump went on about fake news so often because yeah. he knew they were they were his exactly. nemesis and his enemy. And, and, and then there is a, there's a good reason for that because of all the stuff that he he did and, and does and is still doing. And he, mm. you, he, he has to try and discredit them because for all those reasons, yeah. and like you say, the, the the sort of the fake news people and conspiracy theorists and all those all those people, it's it's the same with everything. It's the two percent who make the most noise, who get the most attention and the 98 percent who are who are not, who are just trying to get on and do a do a half decent job who don't get the attention and don't who don't uh who don't generate and it's you know twitter's the same isn't it twitter's yeah. it's always a very small number of people who are making a lot of noise who kind of 
get all the attention and everybody else is just kind of you know trying to get on with kind of get on with it so um yeah, yeah. I don't know I, I I think that um I think if, if journalists were not around we we would if you lived in a country without free press you would I have yeah. been lucky enough never to be there but you know I think you, people have experienced that will tell you no this is a, this is a really really important part and we can't be you shouldn't be constantly you know yes they should be held to account but mm-hmm. they, you shouldn't be constantly telling them that they're you know scam of the earth and fake news and what have you so Anyway, yeah. that's sorry. That's me. That's my. That's my. <laughs> that's good. Good answer. Uh, so, so there's often a few bad apples in things, but there was sure. Yes. And speaking of bad apples, Tim, I'm afraid I have some terrible news to deliver to you now. Oh no. Mm. <laughs> speaking of bad apples, Tim, I'm afraid you are a bad apple because you've committed a terrible <laughs> crime. Oh God. So terrible. So heinous <laughs> in nature. I don't know if we're talking Ed Kemper levels here. We'll see. But you've committed a crime that's so bad that, unfortunately, I have to tell you, you've been sentenced to death. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. What did you do, Tim? It's tough to take. You know what? I think it's, I've got a bit of a reputation in my family, which I've I've been trying to, I've been trying really hard to to get rid of the last few years, but of being really stupidly competitive at like games and stuff. So like, you know, um, Pictionary or things like that, uh, you know, after dinner games or poker or that sort of thing. But so Pictionary is a bad one for me because I have the combination of being really competitive at it and being really crap at drawing. So which is a really, which is a really bad combination. So I think it would probably it'd be something, some kind of after dinner alcohol fueled, you know, rant about a game. And I'd have probably, you know, one of those little pencils you get in Pictionary, I'd have probably gone over and, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know. Nice. I don't know. I'm not proud of it, but, you know, I, I think it was, it was just the heat, that it was spur of the moment. And I, I, was trying, I, was, I was trying to draw this thing and no one was guessing what it was. And so that, and, and so, you know, I think in the end, they, 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 they it was their own fault. <laughs> they asked for it. <laughs> you sounded audibly annoyed as you were saying that. They didn't get it. <laughs> About this fictional game that like, you really hit the nerve. I mean, it wasn't a great drawing, but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as you're all making out. Okay, and look, and if I if I stab the paper enough times, I can show you that it was. You know. <laughs> the worst crime is that they didn't get it. Really? Absolutely, yes. absolutely, and so yeah. I'm. That's in, mit- in mitigation, Your Honour. Um, he, 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 he's he never did art at school, and uh, you know it's never been a strong point. But it all went wrong. <laughs> I like that in the courtroom you've brought the picture in to see if the, to see if the jury can guess because <laughs> really that proves my point that they deserved it. If you can all absolutely. get it, absolutely. <laughs> you've only got to get a couple of juries on your side, and then you know you're you're that's you're it. away to the races. But yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, that was that was, took a turn I didn't expect, but I respect it. Okay. So you've you've slaughtered your family following a picture. I mean, it, it wasn't my family. It's probably it's probably oh, some okay. friends. It's probably friends. It's probably friends who friends, should know better. Quote marks. Yeah. Okay. Mm. You should know better. Well, okay. So you killed your friends uh, because yeah. they couldn't guess your picture in drawing. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, unfortunately, because of that. Whether it was worth it or not, I don't know. But you have been sentenced to death. But okay. the good news is, to make it all a little bit easier to swallow, we're going to make you, not personally, unless you want us to cook, the death row meal of your dreams. Okay. And it, it can be anything you want from anywhere, at any time, or anything like that. The, the world's your oyster. So what would you like an oyster? What would your meal be? No, it would be... Um, <laughs> so last... I think it was last, you know, last... My last birthday last year, my daughter made me a thing which i don't know is it a thing or not but she called it a, a chinese fake away which is like ah. a, you know it's like you go to a chinese takeaway but she made it all herself and she made all the stuff and all the crispy chicken all the spring rolls and like well and she didn't make it all but she kind of made a lot of it and we had this massive spread uh, of all all the stuff it's like a home so a homemade chinese takeaway which she which she did so um she would she would have to have been on my team in the Pictionary, I think. So she wasn't. She was still around to make the um, yeah. make the Chinese, and there was and obviously there's tons of it, and it's far more than you can actually eat. So, but yeah, it was, that was just kind of an amazing, amazing birthday meal. And Aww. she's a very good, very good cook. And yeah, so I probably have that, and then there'd be enough left over for like the everybody else on the on on, on death row to have a bit as well Aww. after. 
That's really so nice of you. Yeah. yeah. So they could all share it and they could all be munching on a on a spring roll while they've while they've while, when the lights go dim or whatever, you know. You really are trying to like soften the fact that you are a monster that murdered people with because of a Pictionary <laughs> game. You're like it wasn't that bad. He gave us spring rolls. You can <laughs> Exactly. I mean, what are the people gonna remember? What are they gonna remember? They're gonna remember the Chinese fakeaway, aren't they? So That's you know. very true. Yeah. I would. Yeah, absolutely. Probably a, probably a bottle of something, a bottle of red uh, wine or actually I might have a single malt whiskey to uh, take the edge off yeah nice. yep. great choice so yeah, yeah that would be that would be i think that'll be that'll probably sort sort that, that'll be the that'll be the one to go out on i think hmm. can you sort it out yeah absolutely we're gonna get yeah. your daughter into the prison kitchen <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll get her to work uh quite a tra- okay. quite a traumatic day for your daughter i imagine but uh <laughs> But yeah. at least she was on the, the right team. So that's yes. something. It's all about being on the right team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, well, further good news. Yes. Uh, yes, mm. you're dead now. Very <laughs> sorry. You're dead. Still oh. <laughs> of Chinese food, though. So swings and roundabouts. Yep. But final gift to you. We will bury you with one book of your choice. What book are you taking with you? Okay. I... I was gonna, I was gonna have one of my own, but then I thought, no, that's a bit, that's a bit like, you know, it's a bit up, up <laughs> we can pop them so, in there too, if you like. No, as, no, nice. because uh, <laughs> I, I read a, I do read a bit of nonfiction as well, and I have because in the, in the, in the, in the mother, there's a sequence in that which um, is kind of at the start, really, but um, where the main character basically fakes her own death, and yeah. I read a really good book on that called Playing Dead by Elizabeth Greenwood, and it's kind of she's a, an American journalist and she kind of goes through all these different scenarios. How would you do it? How do you fake your own death? How would you, who have, who has got away with it and why have they done it? And she goes and talks to John Darwin, the guy in the canoe guy in, in um, oh, wow. is it Newcastle or County Durham mm. up there who um, mm. faked his own death. And so I reckon if I can be there, like with the, with a copy of that, like clasped, you know, playing dead clasped on my, um, in my, in my cold dead hands, that's going to be, quite a you know people are gonna look at that and think ah well actually is he is he trying to is he trying to pull a trick here you know and imagine when you know if you get dug up in a hundred years time they open up your coffin and that book's there oh, what a moment <laughs> and they'll be like he he's really good at faking this guy i really yeah. think he's dead <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that would be a good it'll be a good little you know a good little trick because people would you'd never they'd never quite know and it'll be a little bit of hope you know they'd think maybe maybe his mm. maybe he did canoe out into the into the north sea actually and he's not in in the probably i wouldn't be because i'd have been was that, is it lethal injection or is it what you is can it, pick uh, if you want we can send you out we're going to give you a viking one apparently push you out a canoe <laughs> and set fire to you viking is actually would be my way to go to be honest okay yeah, well, I mean, it's unorthodox for the prison system but why not <laughs> <laughs> viking longship it was an unusual crime so <laughs> yeah. viking longship set on fire with an arrow from like 100 meters fired fired from the shore so and then okay. it, and it, can it go over a waterfall as well? I mean, how mm. how good is your daughter with a bow and arrow? Can she do this part she's, as well? Or? She's pretty good actually. She's kind of a bit like you know, she's a bit like uh, you know, Katniss from uh, oh, Hunger wow. Games. And, and, yeah, great. So she's got quite a lot of jobs to do on on this whole. She's gonna whole... have a really full yeah. on time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And is in that in that book is the first chapter um, all about uh, using a Chinese takeaway to distract people <laughs> while you run away. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. Okay. No, but that's that. Maybe we should get we could get an addendum or something or yeah, something <laughs> to it. But um, yeah, no, I think I mean the, you know the main takeaway from that book is that it's really really hard to do, yeah. especially if there's especially if there's financial aspect to it, which obviously in a lot of cases there, there usually is in terms of trying to you know defraud insurance or, or all those mm. kind of things. So yeah, it's it's tough it's tough to do unless. You kind of had this whole thing with the Chinese takeaway and the, <laughs> and the public burial and the Viking longship. Then, okay. you know, yeah. yeah, the canoe guy's kicking himself right now. So he didn't think of that <laughs> with the spring rolls. He didn't spring himself out of that. You see, I mean, there's so much mileage in this. There you go. Oh, I can't wait to read you in a future book about this. Be <laughs> <laughs> I mean, brilliant. Wow. Well, what a journey, Tim. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for talking to us and for sharing so much of an insight into you as a person. <laughs> bit. Well, thank you for, yeah, thank you. For, I feel like I've probably said a bit too much there, but um, yeah. No. No one's, no one's going to play Pictionary with me ever, ever again, are they? But, no. Um, no, unlikely. No. no, I'm definitely not bringing my uh, travel Pictionary to Harrogate this year. So leave that at home. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. It, where yeah. can people find follow you online uh so they can go to the website which is tmlogan.com 
well, I'm on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, which is, is uh, just TM Logan author, all those, all three of those. And uh, yeah, I'm not, on, I'm not on TikTok yet. I keep thinking about it and then, and then not doing it. But um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter is where you can find me. Brilliant. And where can people sign up to your, was it book club or readers club? Readers on the readers club? club. Yeah. So it's on, on the website. So um, tmlogan.com, bottom of the homepage is a sign up button there and you can you get a deleted scene you get that courtroom scene from from the mother i think doing and, that tonight uh, other bits and pieces from me when uh when things are happening and giveaways and what have you so amazing you're you. just gonna email everyone your drawings from pictionary being like what do you think this is <laughs> give me your opinion that's a captive it was, an elephant. It was obviously an elephant yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing uh, and sarah where can people follow us on social media at at red and buried podcast on all the socials not Very tiktok good. either no unless you've done no 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 or email frankie at red and buried podcast at gmail.com perfect wow well thank you for listening everyone <laughs> thank you again tim everyone should go and buy the mother and all yes. of tim's back catalog because it's fantastic and we'll be back soon with another episode so until next Thanks time for listening. thank you bye 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 Hello everyone, this is Tony Black, co-host and producer of You Have Been Watching, a podcast all about British sitcoms. Myself and co-host Robert Turnbull take you on a range of Britcom subjects and shows in our discussions, including greats such as Faulty Towers. Basil, in, in the same way as, as David Brent and uh, Alan Partridge and Victor Meldrew, Basil works best when he is actually dealing with assholes lesser known curios such as 15 stories high there are all these kind of like gag setups being put in place uh, in that episode and then the the sort of the end like minute or so is basically the payoff to all of these gags and it's very very sitcom-y and even top tens such as sitcom theme tunes if we have to put composers of theme tunes in context for British sitcoms I think Ronnie Hazelhurst he's, he's possibly the John Williams of I was just gonna say he is the, he is the John Williams yeah. of I think of, I think uh, he is British sitcom. We're available on all podcast platforms and on social media at YHB Watching Pod on Twitter and Facebook. So please subscribe, get in touch, and come and have a laugh with us. Yeah.